Hello, I'm Ryan Cook, and this is Civic Tech Chat, a podcast about the civic technology movement. We seek to harness the power technology has to improve the delivery of public services to people everywhere. Thank you to each of you for coming on the program today and for taking the time of your day to do so. Could we go around the table here and have each of you introduce yourselves and tell us a bit about what you do? Sure. Um, hi, I'm Frankie Davenboo. Um, I'm a fellow with Coding It Forward. Uh, right now I'm working at the National Center for Biotechnology Information, which is actually part of the, one of, uh, the National Library of Medicine, which is one of the National Institutes of Health. Um, I'm a product manager there. I just graduated from Olin College, where I studied engineering with human-centered design for biomedical and public health methods. Hi, folks. My name is Emily Fong. I'm also a Civic Digital Fellow with the U.S. Census Bureau, working under the Census Open Innovation Labs. Um, my work there involves sort of a lot of different program management things, uh, working with this specific program called the Opportunity Project that seeks to uh, create cross-government collaborations and bridge public-private sector activities. Um, I'm an engineering uh, fellow by trade, and I've been doing a lot of web development work. I'm a rising senior at NYU's Gallatin School of Individualized Study, where I made my own curriculum called Decolonial Computing. And thanks so much, Ryan, for having us. My name is Chris Kwong. I'm a rising junior at Harvard and one of the co-founders of Coding It Forward, which I'm hoping to share a little bit more about. But at a high level is a student-led nonprofit looking to bring more talented student technologists into social impact and civic technology. So really excited to have a bunch of incredible fellows, Frankie and Emily included this summer, working across six federal agencies in Washington, D.C. and really getting their feet wet in the world of civic tech. Now, uh, beyond the introduction, we have two questions that are recurring on civic tech chat. The first one is, what is your personal why? Essentially, why you get up out of bed in the morning to do what you do? What, what is that for each of you? Hi, Frankie again. Uh, since I started last time, I'll start it again. Um, so I uh, want to be useful in combating health inequity in the United States. Um, I, the degree that I got, um, I sort of was making choices as I went along to try to build the skills that I would need in order to do that. <laughs> what I thought was probably the best way to approach and the skills that I needed, um, that has changed over time. I think I went into college thinking really that I wanted to, um, to study biomedical engineering. Um, and, you know, throughout my time there, I sort of realized more that, um, you know, a lot of America's health problems have absolutely nothing to do with medicine, for one. And then two, that even the problems that are, um, you know, uh, that I find sort of more stimulating, which are, you know, mostly about social determinants, are not really so obviously solved directly by technology. Um, and so then sort of catered my education around human centered design, which at this point is like sort of the one thing that I really believe in um, when it comes to making positive change is really just bringing people in. Um, yeah, so for me, getting the chance with Code It Forward um, to, act, to actually be doing that work of design strategy, uh, user research um, in terms of directing, um, or, you know, participating in a team that works on strategy for some really amazing public resources um, has been just a dream. Um, this is Emily. So I think what motivates me to join Civic Tech is an honest desire to serve. Uh, servant leadership is something that I've embraced ever since I was young. Um, my friends always joke that I grew up as a Leslie note, but like beat me down to the can. And um, pretty much like Coming into college, I also sort of took a lot of different paths to sort of understanding what I really was passionate about. I knew that I wanted to do something public facing, but I wasn't quite sure what. And um, I ended up, you know, taking a bunch of funny, interesting, twisty turns into any of um, an engineering applications. So I was studying computer science, found out that I was pretty good at it, pretty passionate about making it, um, using it to do stuff that was, that was impactful. Um, and have sort of been in and around Civic Tech in New York City for a little bit. I interned at Civic Hall last semester, and when Coding It Forward came and knocked on my door, it uh, kind of seemed like the perfect way to continue building my foundation in this almost niche kind of small industry. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's Chris here, and my personal why really stems back to impact, as I think a lot of things do in the Civic Tech world. So confession that I make often is that I'm not a technical person at all. Um, 
I make the joke that I'm the forward part of coding it forward and that my passion to really do what I'm doing and leading coding it forward and helping run the Civic Digital Fellowship is helping scale impact beyond what I can do personally with my skills and my energy and scaling that across this year, 36 amazing fellows at six different agencies, but then also a network of over 1,500 students across the country who I know have the skills, the drive, and the passion to really use their technology skills to create impact in the social and public sector. So I know that there are so many students out there who are looking to make a difference, and if I can be playing my small part in making that a reality, I'd love to be able to do so. And that's what's kept me going for the last year and a half with Coding Forward. The other recurring question that Civic Tech Chat likes to delve into is one that seems simple up front, but everyone kind of has their own little twist to it. But that's the question, what does Civic Tech mean to you? Uh, how would each of you answer that question? Yeah, I'm, I was listening to your um, podcast from last month, and I forget who exactly said it, but they um, were talking about how they thought that Civic Tech was less about bringing technology to um, you know, government and more about bringing uh, civility to technology. I thought that was so um, sweet. And I, I kind of feel a little bit the same way. I think, um, you know, technology is really just, and technology and design, which was sort of my focus, are kind of, they're just a suite of tools. Um, and there's, uh, to me, it's just like the um, civic tech is just this amazing opportunity to bring the wonderful, like, and interesting um, constraints and opportunities of government, which basically you know, has to serve everybody and so inherently has this equity focus um, to bring those, uh, that opportunity, that together with the, the sort of opportunities and skill sets of design technology. Um, for me, I think I actually had a chance to get coffee with Joseph Nelson of Represently earlier this summer, and he said something that I thought was just so poignant, which is most problems in government are not necessarily tech problems, they're people problems. So that concept just kind of redefined the way that I look at civic tech. So I agree with Frankie that technology is really just a toolbox. But I think um, what civic tech does is that it enables us to bring sort of the ethos of technology, the idea that things could be different and that optimism into a space like government that for so long is kind of, you know, either stagnated or um, sometimes it makes, it's very difficult to try and get things just to be different because of the way that the institutions have been run. So bringing that spirit and agent of change into a space like this is what really makes civic tech so dynamic and interesting. And I'm going to echo that sentiment and steal a line that I heard from a gentleman named Jimmy Chen, who's been working on access to benefits for low-income Americans. And he talks about with his past in, I think, product management in big tech companies that he's really looking to with civic tech to bring the playbook of Silicon Valley and of innovation to government services and making government services more effective and more equitable for all Americans. And I think at the end of the day, it's how do we make government work better? There are debates every day about how much government we should have, but at the end of the day, what we have, we're working with what we have and we wanna make sure that every American, regardless of where they are around the country, where they are in life, has the ability to engage um, seamlessly and effectively with their government, whether it's applying for federal student loans, trying to access healthcare, understanding what college opportunities might be out there in terms of comparing different universities. I think that the government through technology has an immense power and immense reach to make that process just so much smoother for everyone. And civic tech at its heart is bringing people with these fantastic skills in to make that change happen. And on that note, let's go ahead and shift gears here from these introductory questions over to the main subject in hand, uh, coding it forward. Chris, could you get us started with that by giving us the sort of elevator pitch for coding it forward for folks that maybe aren't as well versed in your organization? We started coding it forward in January of 2017, so we recently just hit a year and a half, which has been very exciting for us, with a mission to inspire and empower young people and students with technology skills to use those skills to create social impact. And we identified sectors like healthcare, education, nonprofit, and obviously public sector as opportunities and 
fields where technology talent had been overlooked for far too long and as a result had problems that were and had technology that were years if not decades behind um, the private sector and as students ourselves at Harvard at the time but hearing stories on our campus and across the country of students really looking to create an impact with, with these fantastic skills that we were learning we wanted to create first a network of like-minded socially impact um, technologists from across the country bring them together and say that our generation is one that is really passionate about creating change and we did a lot of storytelling about various people who had made careers and made impact in the public sector and we felt after a while we were thinking about how can we as students get more involved ourselves and we realized that there weren't fantastic opportunities to do so students just coming out of school a lot of the organizations that we looked up to the U.S. Digital Service, the Presidential Innovation Fellows, 18F, we're all really looking for more experienced technologists. And as students, that left us with not great on-ramps. And we looked at USA Jobs, looking for civic tech internships, finding only IT assistant positions that were unpaid or jobs installing Microsoft SharePoint. And we figured for computer science and design and product students from across the country that really was not going to cut it. So we're lucky enough to get connected to a former Presidential Innovation Fellow at the U.S. Census Bureau, who Jeff Meisel, who had a vision for helping build the talent pipeline into the federal government. And as such, we launched um, the Civic Digital Fellowship Program, which is a data science and tech internship program partnered with federal agencies. and. We had an inaugural cohort last summer of 14 students at the Census Bureau, and this summer, really lucky to have Frankie, Emily, and 34 other fellows across six agencies. So starting to build the first steps of a pipeline, and that's what we've been working on, and we're really proud of the fact that this is an effort built for students, by students, and keeping us really at the heart of the mission that we're trying to accomplish. You know, I have to say, I can, I can definitely understand being motivated by a desire to avoid installing SharePoint. Uh, as far as I'm aware, there have been entire careers spent trying to avoid that very same thing. So I can certainly get that. I have to say though also that uh, it sounds like you folks have had some pretty incredible growth just in just one year like that. And that is pretty tremendous. Uh, Emily and Frankie, I would be curious, could you tell us a bit about your story as far as how you ended up getting involved as uh, fellows yourselves and coding it forward? So I guess I can go first. My I guess my entrance into civic tech is really closely tied to my academic trajectory. I spent a lot of time, I, well, I, first of all, I was very fortunate to be in a program where they really encourage you to sort of get out and figure out what you love by yourself. Um, so that process of being a student at NYU's Gallatin School sort of drove me to keep trying things. And I knew from the beginning that I was interested in service, I was interested in technology, and I was interested in social equity. And from that point, I kind of just started uh, looking at what opportunities would allow me to do that. Um, so I remember really clearly, like, when I was still working or interning at Civic Hall, like, I was still Googling, like, companies that are in Civic Tech and just trying to find out, like, what kind of players are in this space, like, who should I reach out to if I had questions, and, of course, if I had many questions. Um, and I eventually um, ended up finding the homepage for Nava PBC um, and just sort of of looking at the work that they were doing with healthcare.gov and um, all the other amazing projects that they've been contracted to work on with government, I thought, wow, this is really a space that is so interesting to me that really jives with my personal mission. And I got to figure out a way to talk to these people. So I just cold emailed them and was like, hey, do you guys have internships? And uh, the answer was no. But I managed to connect with Malalam, who is the director of talent acquisition there. And he uh, was so kind about it and he was like hey actually it's really cool that you're interested we don't have internships right now but have you heard of this thing called the Civic Digital Fellowship that's how I ended up you know hopping on a 20-minute phone call with Chris to talk about it and, and really sort of setting the gears in motion really uh, to to getting to Washington DC this summer and doing the work that I've been doing so I really have to thank a lot of people who have opened doors for me um, and it's tomorrow one of Chris's favorite phrases other people open the door is just our job to run yeah, I, I think, uh, so I was sort of nearing graduation, and I, like Emily, like, knew that 
it was really important to me that I was able to be of service. That's like probably like be of service to health equity. That's like my, like I said, that's like my why. So um, I was, you know, like really sort of working hard to look around to try to see like, are there companies that are sort of doing worth in health equity? Yes. Are there companies doing work um, in health equity that's like specifically sort of about um, women and reproductive health? Because that's an area that I specifically yes and like are there companies that are doing that um in a human-centered design way and that are interested in hiring engineers like basically no um at least not in my area i was really struggling to sort of find things that were going to allow me to use the skills that i felt like were um really important in and actually apply them to things that i also thought were important and somehow it just it didn't even occur to me to be thinking about civic tech i think um it's embarrassing, but I think it really until getting to DC this summer, I kind of didn't really have an image of the federal government that wasn't like politics um, and that wasn't like our president and that wasn't Congress. Um, and so uh, I kind of like just saw an email on like one of my school, like public email message boards that just said like, you know, you, you should check about this thing or maybe apply to it. Um, and I, um, yeah, so I applied to it really quickly, actually sort of on a whim over winter break. Um, then it kind of went from there. I really, I don't, I think I really didn't, hadn't ever thought of myself in civic tech. Um, but, you know, it's like, for a lot of reasons, it's sort of a, well, just like a perfect um, confluence of, of my interest, just one that I sort of had really. And we're very happy they both applied. <laughs> They've been fantastic additions to the cohort, the community, and based on everything we've heard from the folks that, NIH and the team at Census, just fantastic in creating impact. We're very lucky to have them as part of our fellowship this summer. Yeah, it's uh, certainly sounding like it's been a, a positive experience for all parties thus far. Now, I do have a couple of questions that are related, and to give context, uh, I was given like a short little blurb of a bio for uh, both of you, uh, Emily and Frankie, and uh, a couple of things like stuck out to me that I wanted to maybe get a little bit more from, from each of you. Uh, Emily, in your bio, there's a line that sticks out that says that you're a developer who aims to decolonize and disrupt traditional computational norms. Uh, it sounds like a pretty interesting statement to me. I'd be curious to hear a bit about like what that means to you uh, personally. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so that comes from the exploration that I was doing academically with my major, um, which I mentioned earlier, but I'll just say it again. The title is Decolonial Computing, and it a combination of computer science, public policy, uh, critical race, feminist, and postcolonial theory. The really, really short tagline is that how can we use technology to look at our institutions in a new light and reorganize them in a way that benefits more and more people um, and really deconstruct the way that we've been thinking about technology, about how it benefits certain groups and not others, and how we can really start creating equitable systems as we look to. And so so I hope that's, uh, and that's kind of leading into the work that I'm doing, even in government, is just sort of thinking about how technology can really look at these different sectors and really redefine how we've been doing things before and how we can start um, making sure that we're targeting marginalized communities and doing work that actually helps them, as opposed to just, you know, doing the traditional Silicon Valley thing where you make a $400 juicing machine and hope that works out for somebody. <laughs> That, that's a really good point. And, and actually, I, I'm glad to hear that you're focused on on that particular angle. I know uh, we've had some conversations here on the program before. I recall one in particular with some folks from Open Savannah, that one of the things that is thought about a lot is, is how do we reach out to those parts of our community that typically aren't by uh, the, the tech community, as you mentioned, like, instead of doing that $400 juicer. So I, I am certainly, uh, I feel great that, to hear that, that someone like yourself is focused on that. Frankie, in, in your bio, uh, it's pointed out that you have a keen focus on health disparities and how they connect with uh, social inequities. Uh, could you delve into that a bit uh, for us, uh, for the audience? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I could just go on and on about this. Um, yeah, I was lucky enough to take some, some actually in my last year to take um, some public health coursework at Wellesley College out of the Women and Gender Studies, which I absolutely love. Um, and I think, uh, I, I don't think I really had been introduced to the fact that um, health, uh, you know, America's health um, is like so much broader than America's medical system. I think uh, we often were thinking about health, think about um, medicine 
medicine and genetics and that kind of thing when really like the vast majority of what keeps us healthy or what creates health disparities in the United States is not about medicine and it's not even about access to medicine. Um, and it turns out that if we, I mean, I'm particularly interested in women's and reproductive health, especially like maternal and infant um, care and health. Um, and it just turns out that especially in those groups, the things that create the vast inequity that we have in the United States between, for instance, um, uh, black women um, mothers and white women mothers or um, their infants and their and the disparities in their infants' health um, it doesn't it, it doesn't even have to do it doesn't have to do with the it, I mean it does but it's not as simple as looking at the medical care that they're receiving or looking at their behaviors in fact it has very little to do with their behavior and in fact it even has little to do with um, their economic status although their economic status and, and sort of racism in the, racism in the United States are very tied together um, but it turns out even if you control for instance for um, education level and income that disparity doesn't go away um, in infant and maternal mortality um, so then the sort of questions that we really have to ask are, um, or at least the questions that I'm interested in asking um, in the future in my career, and I'm trying to set myself up to be able to ask those questions are, you know, how can we actually combat institutional racism and institutional sexism um, with technology and design? Um, and for me, the tools that sort of I believe in that I um, want to be using to do that is human-centered design, which to me is fundamentally the same thing as democracy. Um, and that's really just about, um, you know, bringing more people and more different types of people into the design of the systems that, you know, that America is built up. And like Emily's saying, that's not just about, you know, it's, it's about like structuring the way that we design those systems. Yes. And, and actually what you're saying, it, it makes me think of, I, I had read a piece, I think earlier this year, I, I want to say it was the New York, uh, possibly the New York Times put it together, but I'll get a link for the listener once I remember where it's at. But uh, in case you do, where essentially like what they were looking at was uh, uh, pregnancy and infant mortality rates and how that there was an impact by uh, just being an African-American had on like then the health of the pregnancy and the child, even as you were mentioning, like controlling for things like income, education and location like that, that effect was still there, seeming to imply that just the experience of being an African-American in America has a negative impact on those things. I don't know if that's a piece you've come across yourself before, but uh, it certainly seems to speak to the well, what you're describing. For me, for instance, like I, I remember um, I spent some of the semester writing, or a lot, my last semester in school writing a um, paper about parental leave and like the ways in which people do and don't in the United States have access to make choices about the ways that they want to feed their babies. Um, and I know when I was writing that paper, um, one of the main resources that I used to find information was PubMed. Um, so, and for me, even though in some ways working at, you know, a library can seem sort of further, like can feel um, a little bit, you know, separated from the types of equity work that I really want to be digging into, you know, later in my career, but obviously I'm very young. There's a lot of things that I still need to know. Um, but to be able to be working on PubMed, which actually, you know, here I am like <laughs> a mixed race person uh, studying and trying to um, write things that are going to be useful to people like me to be able to to use a tool like that and then now be actually working on the design of those tools is actually um is is really huge and that is all because of moving it forward oh and to just be a little clear pubmed is one of the tools that the national center for biotechnology um runs and works on and one of the tools that i've gotten to interact with um during the fellowship um so now uh, i'd like to kind of transition to an open question for the group uh, since, as I'm aware, all three of you have at some point uh, gone through fellowship, and that question is like, what is a day in the life of a fellow like? Yeah, um, this is kind of like a cute question. <laughs> I feel like our lives are like really, um, they're really, at least I, I can only speak for myself, but the, like our lives and interaction with the fellowship have been sort of really cheery. Um, it's a sweet sort of support system to have sort of 40 um like enthusiastic like-minded young people um posting on our you know slack channel every day like i'm going to this museum do you want to come with me like sort of an endless barrage of like fun things to do um yeah so i like to wake up pretty early um and then i go to work really early so that i can leave pretty early um you know uh ncbi is sort of unique because unlike what a lot of the fellows are doing they're like civic technology is not new to them um they've been 
building software tools for the last 30 years. Um, so I think I have sort of a slightly more of an intern role um, there than a lot of the fellows have at their um, positions. And that's not to say that I'm not doing useful work, just um, I'm fitting I'm fitting into a system that's sort of already running. Um, so I, you know, what I've been doing at work is maybe um, participating in interviews, uh, reaching out to people to talk to, um, trying to write up design strategy, or looking at survey results. Um, and then I will come back and there'll be like some fun group of people going to some museum and I get to go do that with them. So it's really kind of a fun summer. I would say from what I've heard of Frankie work, Frankie's work, it's been really impactful and interesting. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I will definitely second the really interesting social dynamics of this fellowship. Um, I think it's the first time really that I've been in a group one that is so incredibly diverse in experience and viewpoint uh, in a tech space like, like this, and also just one that's um, kind of on the same page on stuff. I mean, like civic technology is new to a lot of fellows, but it's something that I'm sure a majority of us have become very, very passionate about over the course of the summer, um, as, as far as work goes. My team is a little bit interesting. Um, the Opportunity Project is primarily remote and distributed, so while a lot of my peers at the census are sort of doing really cool work at nine to five at uh, the census in Suitland, like um, I have the opportunity to sort of go out and sit on meetings with federal agency partners, uh, talk to our private sector partners. We just got off a call with a couple of game development companies um, that are that we might work with for the upcoming opportunity project grants. Um, we are working a lot with develop um, other designers and product fellows to uh, revamp the Opportunity Project website. So in terms of the things that I'm doing day-to-day work-wise, I get to a, pretty much a healthy mix of a lot of different things. And I think that's been a really awesome engaging experience for me. And I think one piece that I loved being a fellow last summer and I hope has carried on to be really impactful for the fellows this summer is some of the exposure that we try to give um, fellows to other parts of the civic tech community. and. I think you've heard both Frankie and Emily talk about how they've really dove right into the great work that their teams are doing and are experiencing that 40 hours a week over the course of the summer and really getting adapted and creating impact um, for many people is that also thinking about outside the four walls of their respective agencies, what other good work is being done, both inside government and adjacent too. So once a week, maybe a little more often we'll expose fellows to other civic tech groups we visited with 18f the presidential innovation fellows just this afternoon came from speaking with a, a panel and a great group of people over at the u.s digital service but also on the outside um groups like mapbox and tech congress we're all doing fascinating work here and half of what we try to do is show the fellows that there's so many opportunities and pathways to create change that they might not have been aware of coming into DC. I know I certainly wasn't when I was a fellow last summer and was really lucky to have certain people say, this is someone you should really meet. And I think having met those people, having heard their stories and heard stories of the impact that they've created through technology, showing showing the civic digital fellows and continuing to open those doors and facilitate introductions. And we've been really honored and felt really welcome to be in this community that Matt Cutts of USDS calls the innovation family. And when he welcomed us into that with open arms at an event earlier this summer, it really was a fantastic feeling. And now that a day in the life is, like Frankie said, it's a really fun place to be um, when you're young over the summer with a community of like-minded fellows and really a community greater than the fellowship as well. I, think. I hope I speak for a lot of the fellows in that last summer. I felt part of a greater movement and a greater cause that is civic tech. In a related vein, as you know, we're talking about what your day is like, as, as each of you had gone through your fellowships, what would be the thing that surprised you the most along the way and the thing that surprised you the least? Um, I guess what surprised me the most is really just how different the environment was pretty much uh, any sort of tech environment. Like if you're coming from 
um, a technologist background, it's it was crazy to me that there are a lot of tools that I just couldn't use for whatever security reasons um, or anything else like that. Like I remember for most of the summer, my teammates and I were uh, hot spotting the internet off of our phones because we had software and files on our personal laptops that we wanted to use, but couldn't access the uh, secured Wi-Fi in the building. So we were we had to figure out a way around it to make sure that we actually got our work done. So I think that's that experience is not anything that really anyone can really prepare you for, but it really forces you to be like, well, I have an objective, I need to accomplish it, and I'm going to be creative and adaptable as much as I can in this government space. What definitely didn't surprise me was just the amount of bureaucracy that we were facing. I mean, I think to some degree everyone expects to have to really advocate for themselves and push uh, anything, even a small gift of change through different you know, hierarchies of people. But I think in of itself, that's been really rewarding because you get the opportunity to learn not just uh, how to build on your technical foundation, but how to really manage people, um, advocate for yourself, like communicate with a lot of different stakeholders. And I think that in of itself, that those kinds of skills have become really invaluable to me in my day to day. And that's something that while I kind of expected to have to deal with, I wasn't expecting to really get to know that side of government that well. If, if I might ask a follow-up on that, uh, it, what I'm hearing there is that it, it sounds like what you've been experiencing is kind of like that idea of having to like go out and get buy-in uh, for those sorts of changes. I uh, could you talk a bit about like your like what your experience has been like, uh, I guess, in figuring that out, especially kind of having to do it from scratch like that as opposed to coming from a government background already? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it is just sort of understanding relationships with you, your team, and the people who are uh, governing different aspects of how the Bureau, for example, runs. Definitely shout out here to, to my mentors, Drew Zachary and Mara Abrams. They have been amazing advocates for us. Uh, anytime we needed to get like a GitHub pull request through or small changes that need to be approved by certain people, they have always been on top of making sure that we are talking to the right folks. And so, um, yeah, you do have to necessarily get buy-in from different, I think, stakeholders in terms of the fact that, like, there are just a lot of different people doing a ton of different functions. So if you really want to push a product through, you have to think about communicating with all those people. I think to some degree, other fellows have had um, more, I guess, direct experience in that than I have. But it's it's been interesting and I think rewarding to have to understand the, the politics of buy-in. Um, and I think that's something that's going to serve me really, really well, no matter what career I pursue. I kind of feel like it was all surprise. Uh, I really went into it having like no image for what this like little piece of the NIH that I'd never heard of before, how that would function or what that would even look like. I really had no idea. Um, and I would say one of the things that was surprised was how um, you, I my dad uh, worked in the private sector for a long time and then um, transitioned into being a professor at uh, UC Davis. And I think the sort of something that he always tells me when he first arrived working at um, UC Davis with all these people that were, um, you know, now uh, working for the state of California was like, where are the cynics? Um, he was just so surprised moving from the public sector to, to meet all these people and sort of see how like sincere they were. Um, and I, that's not to say that I expected people to be, you know, rude or something, but it's, it's really just wild how, um, how like lovely and generous and kind, um, and how sort of sincere and sweet the motivations of most of the people that work in NIH are. Um, it's just, it's, I think it's really special to be surrounded by so many people that are really, like really actually just trying to be in service and really actually, um, you know, trying to do good work together. Really, <laughs> it's really a special thing. And then the other surprise was just, I mean, it's just such a treat to get to use the tools that I actually studied in school. And I, I, I somehow, I guess I just didn't really expect to be able to just dive into doing like work that I know how to do and I feel confident doing like so soon, um, and especially not in this like, setting. I think one thing that surprised me, Ryan, when I got to DC last summer is that we were really grateful that Jeff Meisel at taking a chance on what at that point was a couple of college kids in the dorm room who had a whiff of an idea and to see if we can make something happen and we came to DC thinking that we would have to pitch and sell our way into new agencies and convince them of the value of building a talent pipeline for young technologists and 
was blown away by the support that we received, not just from the civic tech community, but from folks at all levels of bureaucracy all across the federal government who were really invested in the work that we were doing and really made it possible for us to grow into the Department of Health and Human Services, where Chief Technology Officer Ed Simcox is really our fantastic champion in that building. And I think that was really surprising is that for us, the work that we had done and the things that we'd been thinking about that we felt solved a very concrete need for students also were resonating within the walls of federal agencies here. Because I think at the end of the day, as agencies are thinking about their digital needs and their talent strategy, we like to say who better to build the future of government technology than those who grew up around technology, digital natives in a sense. And I think what Emily mentioned about just having to work really hard to understand the landscape and the systems that are unique to government, I think when we look for the talent that comes in, we don't just look for technical expertise, whether that's engineering or design or product or anything in between. We're also looking for people who have a true sense of hustle, a true sense of mission. And that's really what kicks in when the going gets tough. It's not how it's not the grade that you got in your computer science class. It's how well you've dealt with adversity in the past, how you've overcome. And I think for me this summer not being a fellow, but seeing all of the hurdles that the fellows have surmounted all of the roadblocks that they've navigated around to create really great impact. We knew we were screening for these skills, but I think still very pleasantly surprised by how effective they have been. And they're civic digital fellows, but we also like to think of them as bureaucracy hackers in their own way. So one thing I think I'm, I think I'm hearing from you there is in a way this uh, fellowship or internship is a bit of a knowledge exchange. I, it sounds like perhaps like you go there and you're providing those like skills, you know, that digital native experience uh, to the agency. And in return, that agency is kind of helping expose you to that relationship side of government, kind of the, the how the sausage is made, if you will, for the day-to-day operations. Am, am I hearing you correctly there? To, is, is that kind of the, how that interaction goes? I think it does go a little bit deeper. Um, and I think it's also important to know that the fellows and Coding and Ford, we're not coming in to these agencies as the only people who understand technology. As Frankie mentioned, there have been people who have been doing good work in technology and government for a long time. We know as long as technology has been around and a lot of the technologies that we're using today came out of a government lab um, somewhere across this country. And so it's not necessarily that our fellows are the tech saviors for any of these agencies. We're really just here to expose the students and the students are really trying to get that first experience of what it's like to work in government. And I think one thing that we could not be more grateful for as the organization that puts on the fellowship is for the partnership, the support, the mentorship, the guidance that the supervisors that work with our fellows day in and day out part upon students who are really early on in their careers. So I think the knowledge transfer is more in immersion. It's how can we immerse students, not just in the 40 hours a week at their agency, but also in the community that we've touched on, in the site visits and the professional development that we've touched on. And I think it's really important for technologists and civic tech to not think of technologists writing in kind of to save the day, but just to be just another another pair of hands on the team, all working towards a common mission. And I think we're really grateful for the people that have supported our fellows in helping just play a small part in that. I really like your use of the, the word immersion to describe that. that. That seems rather keen as a descriptor. Now, from the sound of it so far, it seems like you've all had pretty positive experiences uh, taking the dive into civic tech and all that comes with it. So as a question kind of for each of us at the table here, Having had that experience, if you could speculate, what do you think your involvement in civic tech is going to look like uh, here in the future? I'll answer this one. So we're hoping that I can stay on. And by we, I mean me and the people that I'm working with at NCBI. I am going to be um, extending my fellowship for another month and hopefully using that time to negotiate uh, staying on full time after that. Um, So for me, it's been just, you know, really a joy of finding a place where I, I feel like I can actually have, you know, 
impact on my level and also um, learn a lot of the things that I want to learn in order to be able to move forward and make the kind of impact that I want to have. And then um, uh, another project that I'm working on that, you know, I just want to shout out to, um, I'm one of the designers, um, along with Liam Grace Flood, uh, working on a project called Co, um, which is a uh, web platform for democratic consensus building and document building. So um, really a tool to um, take the process of building, um, of not just voting on legislation, but of maybe building legislation or, um, and turn that into a democratic um, process, you know, that really asks its constituents for ideas. Um, and obviously we're starting at a very small scale, you know, thinking about things like single documents or co-op, um, you know, co-op bylaws, um, but it's really another way that um, I'm interested, you know, not only in like um, the work of NCBI to um, uh, take this incredible wealth of scientific information that's generated um, in part by U.S. funding and make it available to people, but also to be asking people for their ideas. Um, and that's kind of where Co falls in. So with those two projects, for me, that's like kind of what the landscape looks like moving forward. Uh, for me, I mean, I'm sort of almost in a similar position to Bryce, where I'm also extending my fellowship with the African Project team for a little bit. Um, again, nothing's finalized just yet, but I'm excited to keep pushing on these sprints and you know, really making that cross-government collaboration and that change happen. Beyond that, I'm, I mean, I'm originally from San Francisco and I go to school in New York and New York City has kind of become a second home to me. I'm really interested in sort of looking at, you know, those two cities in particular have such a great culture of innovation. And I would love to be able to bring what I've learned here back to my communities, um, either in, in New York City or in San Francisco, and really um, devote a lot of time to learning about innovation at a more local level, because I think you know, people say this about political change, the most impact you have is on a local level. I think it's very similar and very much the same technology as well. Just kind of beyond that, um, if we're also thinking about side projects, um, there are a couple other fellows and I working on an initiative to continue building out the pipeline that Chris, Athena, and the other amazing folks at Coding Board started. Um, so we sort of saw that there was a gap between university level, the um, people who are still in school, like we have this program, and then there's 18F and USDS. And there's not necessarily a lot of wiggle room for people in between who have maybe just graduated college and are looking for their first job or are trying to find different opportunities um, in civic technology or civic technology adjacent sectors. And so um, Janisha Tang and Omer Benson and I are sort of looking at ways in which we can either start um, different communities that would bring those opportunities directly to. Um, new grads, career changers, anyone who's interested in entering tech, and eventually moving into uh, a more advocacy role and starting to think about how we can push for those uh, programs, those apprenticeships, those internships to really start happening. So we're looking with an eye to the future on how not only can we enter this field, but how we can bring other people with us to really, you know, to go back to Chris's point, to really start bringing in the people who know how to do this work and want to do this work um, into the next generation of uh, I think thinking about the future is something that I haven't been always the best at and I'm very um, short-term type of person but I think looking in the future I'm really optimistic by the energy that our generation has shown in terms of their propensity and their willingness to step up and serve and just this year we had close to 900 students from 175 colleges and universities across the country in 38 states raised their hands to say, the Civic Digital Fellowship looks like something that I'd like to do. And they tossed their hat in the ring and they apply. And we ended up with a fantastic group of 36 fellows, but that also leave, leaves over close to 850 who wanted a first opportunity in Civic Tech, but couldn't really afford um, be given that opportunity just because our program is so new and this field is so new in a sense. So I'm really optimistic in that there's also interest from the agency side. We shielded calls from over a dozen agencies that are interested in hosting fellows because they see the value that people like Frankie and Emily bring day in and day out. And so I think in looking to the future, our job at Coding It Forward is to continue working until supply and demand equalize and we have everyone who's looking for a civic tech opportunity whether at the state federal local levels can find one 
that everyone who's looking for great talent is paired with that great talent. And I think in doing so, what we're trying to do at Coding It Forward with the fellowship and everything else that we do on our blog and in our mailing list is try to raise the prestige of being in civic tech. And to draw a parallel that I use frequently is that our nation's top law students all seek to serve the public good as clerks for the Supreme Court. And if that's the case, why can't the same be true for technologists and civic tech? And I think building a pipeline, building awareness, building prestige, all to create more opportunities is really what I'm dedicating my time to doing looking forward and what Coding It Forward is really looking to do as we continue on in our journey as a young, scrappy organization. Now, Chris, uh, related to that whole raising your hand and applying thing, so Chris, let's say if there are folks out there that have listened to what we've talked about so far, and they're interested in either supporting your mission, or they themselves would like to apply to become a fellow, uh, how might folks go about doing either of those things? For sure. Um, We're pretty easy to find online, um, on the interweb, so feel free to kind of visit us and read more at codingitforward.com. My email is also not very hard to find at all. It's chris at codingitforward.com. If people are looking to donate, we would be really, really humbled and honored to receive um, your support. This is a mission that we've been pushing through as we're taking classes and we're doing all the other things that college students do, but one that we genuinely hope in. And if they're interested in applying, our application is likely going to go up um, towards the end of this year. And at the bottom of our website, they'll be able to subscribe to our newsletter. You can follow us on Twitter. We're very active. A lot of what our fellows have been doing this summer and exploring the civic tech scene is all at Coding It Forward on Twitter. And so please do feel free to reach out if anything that we've said has been interesting and or thought provoking. I'll also let Frankie and Emily share a little bit about how to find them because they're two awesome people as well. Also just to jump in on that, for other students that are interested in entering the civic tech space, um, Emily just posted a blog on the Coding It Forward page that has a lot of sort of good information on who to follow to sort of start um, thinking about, you know, uh, what work there is going on. So Ten would recommend going through Coding It Forward to find that um, article by Emily. Thank you. <laughs> and while you're on the Coding It Forward blog, there is a really great interview with Frankie Davis and Van Great Blood on their project which I fully recommend checking out. Very interesting. Thank you. Wow, look it up. Yeah, don't worry. <laughs> um, but you can find me on Twitter. Uh, my handle is Emily Fong, but instead of an I, it's an O, so it's like Emily Fong. I don't know, it's a long story, but um, I'm very present there. You can also find me on LinkedIn, or if you're interested in shooting me an email, you can do that at emily.fong at nyu.edu. I think every... All of my like social media platforms are all linked to my full name, which is Francis Davenbu. Davenbu is spelled D-E-A-N-B-U. Um, so I think if you just Google me, my LinkedIn and my website, probably my Twitter, probably like everything will come up. Um, and uh, oh yeah, my email is uh, F Davenbu D-E-A-N-B-U <laughs> at gmail.com. <laughs> cool. Yeah, I, I don't know how folks could say no. This is a fantastic mission to support. And there's clearly a whole like chain of links you can click that will take you to a good place to do that. So, uh, you know, I don't know how someone could say no. It, it seems too easy. Now, as always on Civic Tech Chat, we give the panelists the opportunity to leave us with what they want us to have as far as concluding thoughts go. So can we go around the table and kind of monologue for a bit on what we should leave this episode thinking? Sure. Uh, so I guess I haven't asked for anybody listening, and it's that if you know students or have students in your life or you know are thinking about how to build a pipeline whether in your organization um or beyond that please please just reach out and mentor them literally nothing makes like college students more excited than when people like take an interest in their lives and are like hey i'm interested in your professional development and i want to be here for you um that helps us so much in general and especially in a field as new as big tech really tends to get people excited so um, in thinking about how I can stretch my impact beyond just doing the work that I do, I'm also interested in sort of, you know, trying as much as possible to really help civic tech keep growing. 
um, and to really build a nationwide culture of civic innovation, which I think is something that some some um, countries have, you know, started doing. And I think the United States is in a great position to start doing that as well. I guess for me, the thing to close out on is I just, I mean, as myself with myself and as, as an example, I think there are a lot of, um, like Emily said, like a lot of students out there who, um, you know, who want to be of service and who want to um, be participating in, in making the world better, but who don't have any idea what that might look like um, doing that in civic tech or in government at all. And I think sometimes my, our reputation, our generation gets a little bit of a reputation for being a little bit champion. Um, you know, and especially technologists, maybe as people that are, um, you know, with TV or not that interested in, in impact. But I think, um, you know, from, you know, this cohort and definitely even from just knowing my friends at school, like that's definitely not true. Um, and also like, I know, like, I didn't, I didn't even think this was an option. So just like the work that Chris is doing and um, I think so many sort of other cool things that are starting to pop up, like, like the doing the work of reaching out to the students and making sure that there is a place for them to go is just actually huge and really I think will place a lot of people. Yeah, and then some thoughts that I've been thinking about has been a really interesting time to be growing a civic tech nonprofit. And I think a lot of students at Harvard where I am are really excited by entrepreneurship. And I think it's a really fascinating space to be in for me and the Cutting It Forward team. So my would not be here without, and it's been fantastic people to have um, side by side in the fight. It's been the balance that we've tried to strike between running kind of a very scrappy startup, um, but one that's a nonprofit, and then one that's working with the government. It's not kind of your traditional college startup in a sense. And for us, it's been a really fun journey to, to run down. We've had the support of a lot of people in the civic tech space, obviously student energy that Frankie touched on, and also support from some really great foundations. So I just wanted to recognize several, um, Knight Foundation, the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative and Vision New America Foundation for being really supporters and believers in the work that we're doing. And it's hard sometimes to take a bet on a college student and, or a group of college students. And we're really appreciative that they've believed in us and have helped us get to where we wanna go with building a generation of digital leaders. So we're really excited to be doing the work that we're doing and we're excited for what's to come. And thank you to each of you for taking the time to be on the program today. It has been an absolute pleasure getting to hear about your experiences through this fellowship program and how they have kind of helped shape how you're learning and developing for the years to come. And I know there's gonna be folks out there in the audience that are gonna to listen to this and take an interest in coding it forward based on what they've heard today. So definitely a thank you for letting us highlight that and thank you for taking the time to be on. Thanks so much. It's, thank been, it's been a pleasure. You can follow us on Twitter using the handle at civictechchat. Visit us on the web at civictech.chat or subscribe to us for content updates wherever it is you download your podcasts.